This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Good morning. Well, that was real enthusiastic. Good morning. Oh, yeah. I mean, it really helps me to know that you want to be here, all right, <laughs> and uh, your response helps with that. Um, today is um, the day, and we come to these days always, every now and then, but this is the day when we wrap up the series that we started the first Sunday of September called Deeper, and it's been all about prayer and learning how that our prayers need to be far more than what most of us pray most of the time which typically tends to focus on shallow kinds of things. And Paul has challenged us, and as we've looked at his prayers, to the churches in some of his epistles and the things that he prayed for, and as we read those things, and many of us have gone, wow, I don't pray anything like that. And uh, I pray pray for Aunt Molly's you know, bunions and, uh, you know, things like that. And, uh, and, and, but, but I don't go into any depth about people's spiritual walk in their lives. It's about how we're to pray for one another. And today uh, we wrap it up uh, and Paul is going to say to the Thessalonians, finally, which is a good wrap up verse, but it's going to be about our missionaries. So the, the title of today's message is don't forget the missionaries. When we're praying, don't forget the missionaries. Here's what I want you to do. I hope that you got an outline when you came in. I want you to write down, there's a a line at the top, um, underneath the title, the message and all that. There's just a blank line. I want you to somewhere on that or or on your device, somewhere in your notes, write down a, a word or a phrase or a name or a place that for you is a reminder of who, where, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, all right? Don't need to write a paragraph. Don't even need to write a sentence. Just maybe a name or a place that reminds you, a date that reminds you of this is when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I heard the gospel and I responded to it by faith. Take just a moment or two uh, to do that, if you will. While you're doing that, let me go ahead and say this. Um, for those of you, who, if you can do two things at one time, um, we're doing the uh, Christmas shoe boxes, Operation Christmas Child. It's coming up really soon. I think in just two or three weeks, we'll be asking you to bring them in. The boxes are on the table right there between the doors, and there's another table out in the lobby. Grab as many boxes as you need. Put them together. But please, please, please grab one of these and read it. Follow the instructions as to what you're to put in, what you're not to put in the boxes, and how you're to close them up, and so forth. So we've been doing this for a quarter of a century, almost ever since they started it. So we're excited about that, and that's part of our mission's outreach as well. All right, Paul's last prayers, and and we're going to be talking about this, read it in just a moment, but let me talk about Paul for a moment. He was a theologian, uh, he was he was gifted. He was educated. He was an Old Testament scholar. Uh, unlike the other apostles, uh, who were fishermen, they're kind of blue collar workers. Most of them. Paul was he was highly educated, trained in the Old Testament, Jewish rabbi, uh, highly respected for that. Now it doesn't mean the other apostles weren't bright guys. Uh, if you read their writings, you read Peter's, 
uh, letters. You read the books that John wrote, John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation. You read the book of James. Uh, you read about these other guys that maybe they weren't as highly educated as Paul, but you, you come away from reading their stuff and say, man, those are smart guys. Come up with that and write that down. Of course, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, but still smart people. But Paul was kind of a little bit different in that Paul most likely, I think if we could bring Paul back and do some have him take some tests, he would score as a, as a genius easily. I mean, he was that highly intelligent. He was an expert in the Jewish law, in the Torah. He was an expert in the writings of the prophets. And it was this man, Paul, that God used to take the gospel to Europe. How many of you are of European descent? Raise your hand. All right, some of you are not sure. I can look at you and tell you probably are, though. Obviously, you're not African descent and Asian, so... That would be my guess, European. But the gospel was taken to Europe first by this guy, Paul, and it spread uh, from southern Europe all through the continent. And he went to both Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, with the gospel. And he was just as apt teaching in a, in a synagogue or maybe with a, just a few people around, like a small group. He was just as apt doing that kind of teaching as he was sitting in in, uh, in Athens at Mars Hill and debating with the, the, the great intellectual uh, philosophers there in Athens. He wrote 13 letters, epistles, and he wrote, of those 13, nine of them, he wrote directly to churches. And, and we know they're written directly to churches because they have the name of the city where the churches were in, Romans, Corinth, Colossae, Thessalonica, so forth, and the churches in Galatia. Uh, the geographical, those were written specifically uh, to churches. Three of his epistles were written, were written, were written, you try to say that, it's the second time I've done this today, okay, were, were written to um, church leaders, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And then one was written to a personal friend, uh, and that was the, the uh, little letter of Philemon. But so he wrote these 13, most of them to churches or to church leaders, um, all of those churches were either in Greece or Macedonia, which is up north of Greece, or Asia Minor, Asia Minor, which is across the sea, modern-day Turkey. Uh, for all of his education, however, highly educated, for all of his education, for all of his intellectual abilities, Paul was best known and probably wanted to be best known. How would Paul want to be remembered? I think Paul wanted us to remember him primarily as a missionary. That's who he was. He was a missionary, and he was taking the gospel to places where it had never been. He was, his passion was to bring the gospel to those who had not yet heard it, then lead them to accept Jesus as Savior, and then connect them with others just like them, other believers, new believers primarily, and organize them into being local churches. And he did this over and over and over again, read through the book of Acts and you see all the places that he went and the churches that he started. That was his calling to be a missionary. He wrote two letters to the church in Thessalonica. And there's a map up on the screen and shows you where that city is. If you look all the way up and you might see the big letters Macedonia up above Greece. And then just below the letters Macedonia, you'll see, you'll see the city of, of Thessalonica there, um, Berea to the southwest and Philippi, where the Philippians were, to the northeast. And uh, he went there, um, he wraps up the second letter to them, and he, and he, he uh, had gone to that city, 
on his missionary trips. It was a major city, and he went there. He liked to go to major cities and uh, where he could impact the most people. He went there, uh, found, a, found some syn- a synagogue where he would be welcome because he was a Jewish rabbi, and he went, th- went there on three consecutive Saturdays, Sabbath days, and taught them. And we'll read about that in just a little bit. But as he wraps up his second letter to this church, he asked them to pray for him and to his missionary team, for his missionary teammates. He was traveling with Timothy and Silas. You're familiar with them. Timothy wrote a couple, or a couple letters were written to Timothy. And Silas, you remember Silas, the most famous story we have about Silas is when he and Paul were thrown into prison, thrown into jail in the city of Philippi for preaching the gospel, and God caused an earthquake and set them free and so forth. The jailer was converted to Christ. Um, here's his prayer. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, I'm going to wrap this letter up, and I want to say to you finally, pray for us. Pray for me, pray for Silas, pray for Timothy. Pray for, how do you say, Rick, how do you know that's who he's talking about? Because you go back to the beginning of the letter and he introduces those guys as being with him. Pray for us, brothers, that the Lord's message, the gospel, the word of God may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. So let's take a look at that prayer and that prayer request this morning. Then we're going to focus this morning on praying for our missionaries. We're going to do what Paul said, and we're going to try to make this, frankly, a regular part of, of our life as Nag said church. First of all, point number one in your notes, our greatest missionary support is prayerful support. Our greatest missionary support is prayerful support. We financially support a lot of missionaries here. In fact, uh, when you, when you um, give this morning in your offering to Nag said church, 15 cents or so of every dollar goes out to missions. And uh, we, are, we are very committed to supporting our missionaries financially because they're in places where they cannot probably work jobs. You know, you go to a foreign country and, and they, a lot of places they don't let you work another job, but you're there not to work a job. You're there to be supported by churches here in the country so you can do what God's called you to do there. We know and we financially support by name uh, many of our missionaries and we and we, we know them. But here's my question this morning, Nag said church. And if you're our guest, I'll ask you the question as well, because you probably go to church somewhere. How often do you, personally, how often do you pray for our missionaries specifically and by name? Because you know what they need. Because you keep up with them. Do you know, church, do you know that every single one of our missionaries would love to hear from you in an email? Well, that's why we have you, Pastor. You just send an email and say, Rick, for all of Nags Head Church. No. They would love to hear from you personally saying, hey, I want you to know I prayed for you today. God bless you. And, and they would love for you to say, can, I, can you put me on your email list so that when they probably monthly send out an email that says, here's what's going on, here's how you can pray with and for us. They would love to hear from you. They would love, it's coming, And sometimes Christmas cards take a long time to get to some places in the world. They would love to get a Christmas card from you. You say, well, they don't know me. Who cares? Just to get a Christmas card from you that says, I'm praying for you. I'm part of Nags Head Church. I want you to know I'm praying for you. Our connection group is praying for you. We we, we know what's going on, and we thank God for you being there and so forth. That would encourage them so much. You can get on there. uh, If you do Facebook, you can get... Get uh, hook up with them on Facebook and get their updates that way. You can. 
Let me say to you, Nags at Church, you should. You should be doing that. And I'm, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I said, how many of you, part of Nags at Church, have email, probably 90% of you would raise your hands. And the other ones would say, I have it somewhere, but I'm not sure how to find it. But anyway, we, um, you, you need to get on an email list with these folks and find out who they are. What an encouragement it would be to them to know that you're praying, to know that your connection group, to know that your prayer team, that your, your, uh, your children's class, you, you children's teachers, to know, hey, we prayed for you. In fact, here's what's amazing. You want to hear a God thing? No? Okay. All right. Uh, last Sunday, and, and I, don't, I don't keep up with w- w- what's being taught to our children. In, in a, in a, you know, I'm not knowing every week what they're doing. It's not my role. Bonnie does a great job of that. But Bonnie posted last Sunday after the message that Alex preached, which was part of our series on the return of Christ, she said, man, that was pretty neat. She said, because in our children's classes today, you know what they, they learned about? The return of Christ. And then I just found out in between the, the services, hey, Rick, do you know what we talk about today in our children's classes? We talk today in our children's class about what, Tilly? Missionaries. About missionaries, all right? And so we're just following our kids is what I guess we're doing here. But we're studying. The, I think that's a God thing because I didn't know that, but that's how it works out. Uh, God wants us to know them and connect with them. I think it's in our, in our quest, church, for, for a deeper prayer life. I think it's accurate to say that a very shallow prayer, and I've prayed this before, a very shallow prayer, as I finish up my prayer during the day, a very shallow prayer is, and God bless all the missionaries. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever done that, but that's really shallow. In fact, I I think it's just a little tiny bit deeper to say, Call him out by name, and you, you list the name, and God bless the Petersons and the Bensons and the Hoffmans and the Annamies. Annabies and the Batenkos and the Glocks and the Williams and the Camp Bahamas. God bless them all. Amen. What have you said? You know, what have you done? Deeper prayer expresses to God that you're aware not only of who they are, but of what they're doing. So why pray for them? Why does Paul give a reason for praying for them? Paul says, pray for us. So because the message of the gospel, he says, is urgent. He doesn't use that word. But he lets us know this is important to get the word of God out. And I'll tell you that what he says in just a moment. But we need, well, we need to get, you and I, you ever need to get urgent medical attention? Probably you have sometime in your life. I remember one time I was sick as a dog. I think Gail and I have been married maybe two years. And I was sick. And, uh, and I, mean, I was supposed to have gone and, and spoken for a, another church. That was a Saturday with a youth group. They were having a hayride. And I had to call the youth pastor up and said, dude, I can't get out of the bathroom, much less go on a hayride. You know, and I was sick all day long. And finally, I looked at my, at my beloved bride. And I said, you got to take me to the hospital. i got to get to the emergency room. There wasn't a whole lot of love shown in her response. It's kind of like, come on. I said, no, get, please get. She got me there, and they, they checked my heartbeat, and my heart was going 120 beats a minute, which that's kind of fast. And, uh, and so I was getting dehydrated and all the rest. And so they, anyway, you ever have an urgent medical need? When you do, you either say, get me to the doctor, get me to the, the, the emergency room, get me to the urgent care 
center. Call 911. And sometimes they come, not you call 911 if it's really urgent and they, they assess something. And they may have to say, this is really more urgent than we can handle. Call the helicopter and get the helicopter and get them somewhere they, they need help right now. It doesn't need to be delayed. Sometimes there's no time to waste, is there? Sometimes we need greater urgent care. The New Testament, the, excuse me, the New King James Version of the, of the Bible takes this, these words that Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 3.1. He says, pray for us that the message of the, of the Lord, the gospel message, the word of God, may he said, may spread rapidly. If you have a New King James Bible, it says this, that it may run swiftly that it may sprint, the gospel message may sprint from place to place to place in spite of the obstacles. And Paul faced a lot of obstacles, did he not? A lot of things. Man, he got shipwrecked one time. He got beaten. He was persecuted. A lot of things came into his life to try to stop him and discourage him from spreading the gospel. So he says, pray for us that the gospel can be spread rapidly. We, we might see a bit of obstacle here in our country. We might see a little bit of what we would call persecution here to spread the gospel. But everything that I read and everything that I hear from Christians, including from our own church, everything that folks tell me in, in Christianity here in this country is that the biggest obstacle to spreading the gospel among us is within our own minds. And that obstacle is fear. You ever share the, share the gospel with somebody? No, I'm just afraid that I'll say the wrong thing. You know, I'm afraid they'll tell me I don't want to hear it and leave me alone. I'm afraid of this or that and the other. And fear is all right here. The obstacle doesn't come from the supposed enemies of the word of God. But ironically for us as Americans, the obstacle to spread the gospel, to keep us from spreading it, comes from within the very ones who have been saved by the gospel and are called to spread it. It's right here in our own minds. That the Bible tells us, for example, about fear, 2 Timothy 1, 7. What a great verse. Read that with me, up on the screen. Read it aloud with me. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So what is Paul saying there? If you have a fear, if you have, let, let's use another word, if you have a phobia of some kind, and I think this fits with just about anything, if you have a fear, where did it not come from? It didn't come from God. God didn't put that within you. You put that within yourself. A fear. It's interesting how little, little children, little tiny kids have no fear. Little ones. Where do they get fear? A lot of times, parents teach them things that they're afraid of, and they become afraid of, you know? And, uh, and so by our reactions to things and other people, and they become afraid of things that maybe they shouldn't be afraid. Now, there's certain things to be afraid of. I think it's good when you take a child to a street, and you're going to cross the street, to hold their hand and say, we're going to look this way, and we're going to look that way, and we're going to look that way again before we cross, because we don't want to be run over by a car. All right, so it's good to have a healthy fear of automobiles. and That's a healthy fear, isn't it? I mean, to not have fear doesn't mean, I mean, they're coming left. I'm going to cross this, this bypass right now, and I don't care who's coming. God's going to protect me. 
you know, and we die and we go to heaven and we say, gee, God, I thought you would protect me from crossing the street. And God's going to look at you and say, I gave you a brain, didn't I? You know, I gave you some sense not to cross out in front of those cars. So there are some healthy fears, but there's so many of our phobias, especially about sharing the gospel, are self-made. They're man-made. And God wants you and I to trust in him and to overpower our fears. The words in 27, uh, the 27th chapter of Psalm, verses 1 and 2, are for you if you live held back by some kind of fear. Let's read that again together, right? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And of course, those are rhetorical questions. The answer is obvious. Who should I fear? Who should I be afraid of? And the answer is no one, the psalmist says. Because why? Because God is my salvation. God is my strength. And that's a great question. Who should I fear? No one, nothing. So we should allow the Holy Spirit to remove our fears, if your fears are obstacles to sharing the faith. And so some of us, I know, we're going to say, I have these fears, I have these anxieties, I have these phobias. I just can't stop having them. And the answer to that question is, you're right. But God can. If you trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, he can remove those things and overcome those things. So why would it be that Paul is asking for the gospel to be spread rapidly, to run swiftly? And I think one of the answers to that question is I thought through that, why is that so important that it be quick, that it be fast? If you were here last Sunday, Alex McFarland spoke on in our series on the return of Christ, that, pray, that we pray for one another that we'll be ready, uh, live expectantly of the return of Christ. And he talked a lot about a number of things about the return of Christ. And one of the things that he pointed out, he says, Jesus promised that he would return. Paul believed Christ would return, listen, in his lifetime. Paul thought Jesus was coming back before he would die. How do you know that? Because he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4.15, he said, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming. Now, when you say we, who are you including? Me. Paul said, I expect to be alive when the Lord comes back. Of course, it didn't happen. He died before then. But it could be that Paul was looking to the west a few hundred miles from where he was when he wrote that. And he believed that the Roman emperor would be the coming Antichrist. A lot of people in the first century thought that. And some might skeptically say, maybe this is you today. You know what, Rick? I hear people talk about the return of Christ and Jesus talked about it and Paul expected it. And uh, man, that's been 2,000 years ago of the church waiting for Jesus to return and he hasn't come back yet. So really, is he really coming back? But again, if Jesus promised his return and Jesus never lies and Jesus is always faithful, he's coming back. And if it was urgent, Paul says, that we spread the gospel because the return of Christ is coming, if it was urgent 2,000 years ago, what does that say about its urgency today? It's even more urgent, is it not? The day is coming, and it's closer yesterday, or today than it was yesterday. And then when you add in the simple fact that people are dying every day who don't know Christ, some who have never heard of Christ, it's urgent that we tell them. There are places in the world where the gospel has not yet been told. They've not heard the name of Jesus. It's urgent that we tell them. 
So Paul says, pray that the gospel will be honored. So we do. We pray for the gospel. He uses the word honored. How do we honor the gospel? How do we do that? The word honored there is from the same Greek word that means to glorify. Well, how do we glorify? How is the word of God glorified? Let me give you three things in your life, ways that we can honor or glorify the word of God. First of all, it's glorified, it's honored when we believe. When it's believed. Because when it's believed, we say, I read the word, I believe the word, we are saying then, so I will trust the word. Belief and trust mean the same thing. I trust it. Secondly, it's honored when it is obeyed. When it's obeyed, because when we obey the word of God, then we are saying, not only will I trust it, but right now I'm going to submit to it. I'm going to do what it says. We honor the gospel. We honor the word of God. And then thirdly, when it's applied and put into practice in our lives. When that happens, we are saying, and I will live it. I trust it. I submit to it. And so the third logical conclusion must be, I'm going to begin to live it. And by doing that, we honor the word of God. Listen to what James said in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, as he talked about applying the word of God. He said, don't just listen to God's word. See, that's what we do when we come to church. Uh, for our guests, we, we open the word every Sunday here at Nags at Church. We spend time in the word of God. And we listen to the word of God. And maybe it's when you're in your connection group and you're, you're reading and studying together the word of God. We listen to the word of God. Or maybe it's, it's when you're driving down the road and you're listening to somebody teach or whatever it might be. You're listening to the word of God. He said, don't just listen to God's word. As though listening was the end all. It's not. He says, you must do what it says. That's the submission to the word of God. You got to do it. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word of God and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You just walk by the mirror and you turn your head and look and you keep on going. All right? That's, for a lot of guys, that's all we need every day. Just a glance. I'm good. And I've had my wife say to me many times, you're not going out of the house looking like that, are you? Go back and look in the mirror. You know. Thank God for our wives. You, you, you just glance at your face in the mirror. He says, you see yourself, you walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and he's talking about this book, right? This is, the, this is the mirror spiritually. If you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, God will bless you for doing it. Now, what does that mean? When I hear the word, Sunday morning, connection group, listening to some teaching, podcasts, whatever it might be, when I hear the word of God or read the word of God and I either ignore it or I say, well, that's not for me, or I refuse it or I reject it. Can Christians do that? Oh, yeah, we do it all the time. What we're doing is we are dishonoring the word of God. We are not glorifying it at all. The Thessalonian church, from what Paul said, he said, I'm going to commend you. I'm going to give you guys a star for putting into practice the word of God, for honoring the word of God, honoring the gospel. And then he says to them this, as we 
He said, I want you to pray for us. And here's, here's part of what he said. I want you to remember how it began with you. Remember how it began with you. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 17. And we're going to look at how it began with these people. Just four verses at the beginning of that chapter. He says, just as it was with you. Let's go back to the story when they first heard and received the gospel. He says in Acts chapter 17, 1 through 4, and they traveled through, and by the way, they, who, who is they? You back up and you read and you realize he's, he's with this guy named Silas, these missionaries. When they traveled through Amphipoli, Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica. Now let me stop and say, some of you are rather impressed with me pronouncing those words. And, uh, and you say, man, that's why you went to all that seminary, and you got all that training, and that's why we pay you the big bucks. But let me let you know, um, I'm just guessing just like you probably would. So they went to these three cities, and there was a Jewish synagogue. And as usual, Paul went to the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, three Saturdays, probably consecutive, Paul goes to the synagogue, and they recognize him. He's, he gives his credentials. I'm a rabbi. I'm a teacher of the law. And they allow Paul to get up and speak uh, d- during their service. And he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now, the scriptures that they had there were only the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't written. They didn't have those. And they didn't believe it. They didn't know about it, probably. But they certainly, certainly probably had not believed it. But they had the Torah. They had the Old Testament law. They had the prophets. They had the Psalms. And so Paul would pick up the uh, scroll there that every synagogue had with either a portion or all of the Old Testament, and he would begin to selectively read from that and teach from the scriptures, explaining and showing that the Messiah, that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. And he said, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is The Messiah, he is the one that we as Jewish people have been waiting for since the promise was given to God by God to Abraham for all these thousands of years. He is the the boy that was born to the Virgin Mary that every Jewish woman when she got pregnant wondered, is my son going to be the Messiah? That was their hope. He's already been born. The Messiah has come. And he, he he suffered and he rose from the dead. He is the Messiah, this Jesus. And then some of them who were listening to him in the synagogue on these Saturdays believed because it says they were persuaded. And they joined Paul and Silas. What do you mean they joined? They said, hey, we believe like you. We're now Christians, including a great number of Greek, of God-fearing Greeks. These were Gentile people. They were not Jewish, but they were enamored with the Jewish religion because they had a had um, some moral values within their religion. We call them the Ten Commandments. They had some moral values. They worshiped one God instead of this pantheon of Greek gods. There was just this one God to worship and be accountable to. They They wanted to know more about it, so they would go, and they were welcome to come into the synagogue and listen to the Word, listen to the Old Testament. They were enamored with Judaism, and they heard Paul proclaim the gospel, and a great number of them believed, as well as a number of the leading women. How did it begin with you? And this had not been very long after Paul had been in this city and won these men and these women to Christ, taught these things within the last year, probably. Paul says to them, how have you received the gospel? How did that happen? Do you remember? Remember the joy 
when you heard, heard the gospel and believed in Jesus Christ? Remember how it felt to have your sins forgiven and have that burden lifted? Hey, listen, church, Thessalonians, the world needs that same gospel. The world does. Remember how it began with you. I, I remember back back in the day, a generation ago, there was a, um, a Christian a musician, songwriter, a great gospel writer and singer, and a guy by the name of Andre Crouch. Anybody ever hear of Andre Crouch? Anybody know Andre Crouch? I ought to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to sing this song, um, but I'm not going to do that. Andre Crouch had a great song, and I could sing it for you right now, but I'm not going to because we still have the offering yet to take, and I don't want to discourage anybody. I'm not paying for that. Andre Crouch had a great song back in the 70s. It just simply said, take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to where I first believed. That's what Paul is saying. Remember how it was when you first became a Christian? Don't forget that. Take me back. It's not something we as Christians can forget. But when we remember it's great motivation to, to remind us that there are people that have not yet had that experience of trusting Christ. So I need to share that with him. That's why at the very beginning I said, write down a word or a name or a date that will remind you of when you first received Christ. Now, if we're going to pray for the lost world, and especially for those who are sent to proclaim Christ in the world, it's important that we remember our own experience of trusting Jesus and the joy and impact it had on our lives because it motivates us when we do to share it ourselves. So we're going to close out this morning a little bit differently than we normally do. Uh, you'll, you, those of you here every Sunday, we're kind of changing things around. Uh, but first, of all, I want us to continue to worship with our giving back to God. And as we get ready to do that, I want to share something Paul said he commended the Philippian church for their financial support of him as a missionary that allowed him to take the gospel to the world. Here's what he said, Philippians 4, 16 and 17. He said, for even in Thess Thessalonica, Thessalonica, even there in that city, you sent gifts for my need several times. You financially helped me out. He said, not that I seek the gift. I'm not a fundraiser. That's not, I'm not worried about that. But I seek the fruit that is increasing to your account. Paul said, what I want to see is, the, is that the fact that you gave, that God blesses you because of your generosity. So Ramon, come and lead us in our prayer for our offering ushers, if you'll come. And then we're going to continue with some songs. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world. <laughs>